and welcome to today's edition of Tabernacle Today, a podcast maintained by the Tabernacle located in Danville, Virginia. The following lesson is by Dr. Danny Campbell, senior pastor at the Tabernacle, and was recorded during our Wednesday evening Bible study. Additional information about the Tabernacle can be found at our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. Our prayer is that you will be blessed by the Word of God today. Turn in your Bibles as we join Dr. Danny for another edition of Tabernacle Today. Well, go ahead and uh, turn in your Bibles there to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. And, uh, and I will too. <laughs> All right. You know, one of the sad things about this pandemic year has been how the Olympics that are supposed to be in Japan uh, this summer had to be moved from last summer to this summer and they still might not have them this year. You know, it's just one of those things, you know, uh, since so many of the areas of the world are having a spike this way or that away, and the next one for any number of places might be around the corner. And we thank the Lord for the vaccine and how that's a game changer, can allow people to uh, go about their normal lives until things get so desperate in an area that you need to take a, a week off, you know, or whatever. But it, I, I think about the logistics of athletes training for something like the Olympics, or for the basketball playoffs that just started, or for any level of high-level competition, you know. Uh, you've got to do dietary things right uh, as you build up to a season and to an individual game. You have to get all the exercise things down. You've got to put in practice, practice, practice. And it must be terribly hard for the athletes that usually are used to ramping up in a four-year cycle for the Olympics to ha not know if they're going this year or next year or need to just shelve this time and go for the one to come up. Um, it reminds me of the saying, talent loses to hard work when talent doesn't work hard. Talent loses to hard work when talent doesn't work hard. So last week we began our study in 2 Peter by seeing that we Christians have everything we need for life and godliness. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, the Lord gives every person the moment they become a believer. He himself takes up residence in their heart through the power of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling Holy Spirit. They usually get access to a Bible somewhere in there. I remember two weeks into being a Christian, a family bought me my first Bible and I was so delighted that I ha had the Word of God. Uh, they, we all have the same ability to humble ourselves and pray and seek God's face and use the resources we have to deal with sin, to become part of a church, teaching and preaching the Word, to unite with other believers, to have our first fumbling efforts at doing things for the Lord and ministry in some way or another around the church or in the community. And Billy Graham, he didn't get anything at salvation that we don't have access to which is tremendously good news. Today we're going to see Peter desire that every believer get the most out of their salvation, having a useful and fruitful faith. We are completely and totally saved based on what Jesus does for us, but we want to make the most of our faith by growing in faith so that we can make a big splash for Jesus during this lifetime and of course then go to heaven and be with Him and those that we've helped be part of coming to know Christ. Now let's be clear on this. Salvation as a gift of God, a gracious gift of God. So the Bible teaches that anybody that's ever been saved, it started with the Holy Spirit uh, doing a work in their heart and life, right? Uh, lining things up for them so they would have multiple opportunities to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And usually that it has involved a, a preaching of the Word of God. So the Holy Spirit loves to use the Word of God, a verse taught, a verse preached, a verse testified about, a passage to awaken the sinner's need of salvation. And so the Holy Spirit continually impresses on them their need to turn from their sin and turn to Christ. So uh, at one time, you know, when, when I first became a Christian, I, you know what I thought? I thought, why didn't anybody ever tell me this? And in the years that have passed, I've now been able to identify at least three or four times where that's exactly what they were trying to do with me. They were trying to share with me and there were still scales on my eyes. You know, there was still such a hardness of heart. There was such, such a daftness on my part and an, in, you know, and, and an inability to uh, want to want to know, you know. Uh, but the Holy Spirit didn't give up on me and he doesn't give up on any lost sinner, right? The drawing continued to happen. And on December 16th, 1984, when I was saved, all of a sudden I heard in a way that I hadn't heard and the Lord saved me. So hellbound sinners' eyes are open to their need of Jesus. They repent. That word means change of mind. And several passages in the book of Acts and, and, the, and the letters talk about that a person repented, they had a change of mind, and they turned. So r repentance involves turning, but there's actually many times it uses the word repent and the word turn. The change of mind happened. There was a turn from self-reliance, a turn to Jesus in belief, faith, trust, love, and uh, boy, and the new birth happens. And the Bible tells us that salvation uh, is by God's grace alone, through our faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. No work that we do brings that salvation. It comes by trusting in Christ alone uh, or not at all. But sometimes we forget that salvation is both an end and a beginning. Are you familiar with that language? The end, everybody needs to be saved or they'll go to hell. But it's also a beginning, the beginning of an eternity-long relationship with our Creator through faith in Christ. Um, so everyone needs to receive Christ, place their faith and trust in Him so they'll be born again. And that's the beginning of an eternity-long relationship with Him. Uh, so, during the Reformation, they would say, the faith that saves is faith alone. But the faith that saves is never alone. Once a person turns to faith, uh, they start this journey of life and seeking the Lord. So, the question is, do you want to be a useful and fruitful Christian? I sure do, you know. I, I, I know I'm going to heaven because of what Christ did for me, but I want to be useful for Him. I want to bear fruit for Him, right? We've actually developed as our church uh, mission statement that the tabernacle exists to the mission of the tabernacle is to reproduce faithful and fruitful followers of Jesus Christ. Faithful followers of Christ, fruitful followers of Christ. And if you're faithful to some degree or another, you'll be fruitful. And I'm looking at it, some very fruitful people here and some fruity people here too. But let's see. Um, so 2 Peter chapter 1, continuing on verses 5 through 11. Peter says, and, and remember the context, you know, you've got everything you need. You're, you're saved by what he did for you. You've got everything you need to live this life and be godly. Verse 5, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound or abounding, 
you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren and sistren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. A fruitful faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the Word of God. And I thank you for this passage that's near and dear to me. Uh, I remember being a new Christian, 17 years old, and serving at a camp in the North Carolina-Virginia border for my church, God, and being asked as a cabin counselor to give a devotion in this passage, just being the topic we taught on all week long, Lord God, and how you blessed that. Lord, I pray you bless it this evening, God. We know we can't do a thing to save our souls. You did that, and we received that as a gift of your grace and goodness. But you hear you tell us that if we've been born again, we need to add some things to our faith so that we'll be fruitful, God. And I pray that everyone that hears this message tonight and later on the uh, Internet, Lord, will uh, apply it in their lives and have a fruitful faith. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Yeah, I just referred to it in the prayer there, but um, so uh, we, um, like a lot of churches, Hickory Grove Baptist Church, Charlotte, North Carolina, had a church camp. They'd rent a place at Lake Carr, or, um, and they would bring the children one week with some teenagers being counselors, and then the second week would be youth camp, right? And so uh, I hadn't been a Christian a year yet, but I was excited and joyful in my faith, right? And um, so I was uh, a counselor at that children's camp. And that meant uh, that me and another fellow were in a cabin. And the other fellow, he'd grown up in the church. He had no real interest, you know, in uh, doing some Bible teaching and things like that. So he said, okay, when that time comes, Danny, you're going to do it every night. I said, okay. So we had about 10 kids there in the cabin with us, you know. And I taught the first night. And what I, di what I, what I didn't realize is that the other boys' cabins had a lot of fellows doing the same thing as my buddy in the cabin with me. They weren't teaching nothing. So each night did two teachings a day, each night uh, we would have a few extra, right? Because the kids, were, they wanted to do a devotion, you know, as, and, and before they ran around things. So picture this, by the end of the week, not only were the ones in the cabin uh, listening to me, but some of their buddies were in there and just outside the door. Uh, we, had, we had 60 of them by the end of the week, you know, just pressing in, listening, because there was somebody was passionate about Jesus that was closer to their age and they were used to that just being the, you know, children's workers, et cetera, and things like that. So that was a very uh, exciting time for me just to know that uh, uh, there's something to getting to share for Jesus and seeing people saved and excited and stuff like that. Well, verse 5 says, for this very reason. And whenever you see something in the Bible like for this very reason, you want to remind yourself what came just before. So back in verse 4, uh, he had said, by which you have been given exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. Do you note the positive and the negative there? Uh, so um, it tells us that because, for this very reason, because you want more of heaven in your life, 
partakers of the divine nature, and you want less of hell in your life, escaping the corruption that's in the world, right? So you want more of heaven, you want less of hell. Reminds you of the Puritan's tombstone that heaven was in him before he was in heaven. And you've known some people like that. And many of you are people like that. We think of Brother James. Heaven was in him before he was in heaven. Uh, we got to see a fellow that loved the Lord and spent time with him. And you could have put that on his tombstone just like that. Um, so because you want more of heaven and less of hell in your life, more of God and less of the flesh, uh, it says, add to your faith. So faith is the root of salvation. These other things are the fruit of salvation. Now I'm going to connect it back to that analogy, and you'll get a fill in the blank here. Just as the athlete has God-given talent that has to be developed to be optimized, the believer has God-given fruit of the Spirit that needs to be developed through faith-based exercise. So it, it, there's nothing more disappointing. We've got uh, you know several of you have done some coaching, and the great ball coach right here. Um, Mr. Bingham, Coach Bingham, uh, and it is nothing more frustrating than seeing talent that doesn't, hasn't been developed and optimized, right? All the talent to play in college or even in the pros, they won't work hard with the talent to develop it, won't exercise, and, uh, you know, it, it gets wasted, and, and that's so frustrating. And I wonder sometimes if the angels look on, you know, like we do with athletes, right? I wonder sometimes the angels look on and saying, you know what? Man, I can really see that Danny Campbell doing something for the Lord, you know, and uh, and whatever you, you put in whoever you want there. And I wonder sometimes the angels go, oh, man, he really missed that one. You know, uh, if he'd only, you know, he, he, he uh, didn't work in the word this week like he should have, you know, or whatever it is. Um, so we've got fruit and we've got root. Galatians five, you know, the fruit of the spirit, right? Got the little ditties about it. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And the Bible makes clear that if you're abiding in Christ, you'll bear much fruit. So we can't make fruit pop on, up on our own. Uh, you know, it has to be abiding. Uh, we have to be abiding in Jesus, and the Spirit will produce the fruit in us the same way you have a tree, and because it gets the nutrients of the water coming up through the roots, the fruit happens, and when uh, the, those things, when the branch gets cut off, it doesn't take it too long to dry up and be ready to burn, right? Uh, and there's parts of our life like that. We're not talking about salvation here. We're talking about fruitfulness here. So, uh, faith is the word pistis. It occurs 244 times in the New Testament. Faith is a settled conviction. It's a reliance upon Jesus for salvation. So he says, because of your faith, you've got everything you need for life and godliness, and so we be fruitful. Let's add to our faith. And then he goes down through this list. And we're going to call them faith pursuits. But we're building toward verse 8 where he says, For if these things, the things we're about to talk about, if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want to be barren and unfruitful. How about you? No, I want to bear fruit. I want to be faithful and fruitful. So faith pursuits. The first one, well, you got it written there. By faith, pursue virtue. Pursue virtue. You may have a translation that reads goodness. Uh, and I think um, uh, goodness scares me a little less than the word virtue, you know. <laughs> but I know that in my flesh dwells no good thing. Um, but hey, that rhymes. Uh, pursue virtue. Uh, so the word is a word that only occurs five times in the New Testament, the word arite. 
uh, and it's four of them are in First and Second Peter. So Peter liked this word goodness, this word virtue. Um, it comes from a root word that means manliness or valor. Uh, so by faith pursue that which is full of valor, that which is full of goodness, that which is full of vir- virtue. It's a righteous course of thought, feeling, and action. Now this quote from Oswald Chambers is so convicting. He said, the core of all sin is the belief that God is not good. Whew. It may be overly simplistic, but I think it's true. Almost every young person, almost every person going through a middle-aged crisis, almost every senior saint that I see struggling uh, and falling into sin of one type or another, this is a core issue for them. Um, Satan is always going to try to convince us that doing what the Bible says will not be in our best interest. It would be in our best interest to do what we want to do instead of what God wants us to do. So we start doubting whether uh, God is holding out on us. First temptation, right? Adam and Eve in the garden. Uh, He was trying to get Adam and Eve to doubt God's goodness in the command that he'd given and that God was holding out on them, and they would actually be better off if they did the thing God said not to do, right? And you take the commands to Israel in the Old Testament, the commands to the church in the New, all the moral law that's throughout the entire Bible, and any time somebody is listening to Satan, that one of those things God has instilled in creation or that he's taught as a command is uh, every time he tries to get us to doubt that it's in our best interest to do what God said. And so he gets us to question God's word. He gets us to deny God's word. And uh, like I say, I see it all the time. And uh, what happens is then people start um, having a little fight with God, you know, and they'll say, well, not every person that says they're a Christian understands these clear teachings of Scripture, you know, Uh, the way that uh, those people that love the Bible back at the tabernacle do. Um, And so they say, well, in this area, I'll just kind of set that command to the side. And so whether it's basic human sexuality, things, gender, sexuality, whatever it is, uh, people try to hold on to the old faith for a little bit, but they're already down a dangerous slope, right? They're doubting the goodness of God. And um, what happens is when you pick and choose which parts of scriptures are God was serious about obeying, you know, uh, then you wind up eventually rejecting the whole thing. And I've seen this downgrade many times, you know, over the years uh, and some people very close to me. And it always comes back to this root thing that God says to your faith, add goodness have a complete and total understanding that what God has asked of you is in your best interest. It is from the owner's manual of life, his holy word. And uh, when we believe that what God commands is for his glory and our good, we have put up very necessary guardrails in our life. Jesus said, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Peter said, be holy as God is holy. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And the fact that we fall short doesn't excuse us from failing to aim in the right direction, does it? You know, so we look at God's commands and we know that they're good for us. So aiming at obeying God doesn't save us. Faith alone does. But obedience puts us in position to grow and bear fruit and be blessed by God. And I want to grow and bear fruit and be blessed by God. How about you? (laughs) You So by faith, 
pursue virtue. Add to your faith virtue, or we could use the word pursue there. Um, and I've given you some verses, but we'll go to the next one. By faith, pursue knowledge. Pursue knowledge. Now, it's good that we're in Bible study right now. Bible studies are very helpful. We want to learn what's in the Word. But here the Word is more of the experiential knowledge, you know. Um, I knew about Elizabeth when I first met her, and I wanted to learn more about her. Uh, we've been married, and now, all these years later, I know her. I know facts about her, but I also have a growing relationship with her, and that's what's in mind here. So, you know, the whole point of God giving Adam and Eve those original commands, very few, just, you know, the, 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 for, for the, you know, all kinds of... Uh, the whole point was that he was going to come and walk with them every day, right? And there was going to be a growing relationship from them, and he had told them what was best for them and what to avoid. And so by faith, you want to add to your faith goodness or virtue, and then add to that knowledge, this growing relational knowledge there. Um, it's like in John 17, 3, where Jesus himself defined eternal life for us. He was so excited about having complete, he was about to complete the work on the cross. And he said, you know, Father, this is eternal life that they, my disciples, may know you and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. So what is eternal life according to Jesus, John 17, 3? It's a knowledgeable, growing relationship with the heavenly Father through the Son. That's what Paul said in Philippians 3, 8. More than that, he said, I consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. So yes, a growing knowledge of doctrine. Luke 1, uses the same word to speak of the knowledge of forgiveness of sins because that's so powerful in our lives. Romans 15, 4 says, My brothers, I myself am convinced about you that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge. So there those words are together and you're able to instruct one another. So it's a, a knowledge of yourself, a knowledge of others, a knowledge of the world's need. It's the same word used of the tender understanding of a husband having toward his wife that Peter called for in 1 Peter 3, 7. He uses again in the great love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, where he says knowledge is not an end in itself. It needs to be energized by love. Uh, Ephesians 3.19 says the Messiah's love surpasses, passes, surpasses knowledge. This, this relationship is so important it's going to last into eternity that look at the last thing Peter says to them, chapter 3, verse 18. And a reminder that he wrote this letter, probably aware that he was going to get killed for the faith. So these are the very last words in the very last letter from the great apostle Peter. He says, but grow in the knowledge, go in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Peter says, I'm about to leave. My prayer for you as I go is you'll grow in God's grace. You'll grow in that knowledgeable relationship of Christ. Um, before we move on to the next point, goodness, uh, belief in His goodness, wanting to do the things that He's commanded, um, this growing relationship, um, you know, we're all in here just about at the point where we can really apply that. You know, uh, when you're young, man, you're just running and gunning, you know, and then God gives you some things to slow you down a little bit. And that's when your faith becomes even all the more precious to you. And you can slow down and start spending some of that more serious time in prayer that the Lord wanted from us all along. Sometimes you can do that a lot when you're a younger person and things, but there's a reason why saints, 
that the grace relationship with the Lord grows over time, there's a reason why when they get up into about their 80s, you know, they're just glowing. And if we're all around in those age brackets and stuff, may we be glowing because we've slowed down enough that we have finally really put in that time in not only uh, praise prayer, but also just prayer for the things around us. And, uh, you know, I don't know what the future holds for any of us, but, uh, you know, um, one of the most glorious ministries anybody in the church has is those that have slowed down a little bit, having the hour with God each day in the morning, in the afternoon or in the evening, and during that time, being knowledgeable enough to intercede uh, for, uh, you know, in, in, in God-defined ways, you know. Uh, we, we have understood that sometimes it's the suffering that's happening that'll finally get that loved one's attention that we've been praying for, right? So, man, I'm a parent. You guys, some of your grandparents, parents and grandparents, you know, aunts and uncles and things. And we can't help ourselves, can we? Lord, keep my grandbaby safe. Keep my child safe. You know, don't let anything to... And sometimes we pray this little cocoon around them, and, uh, but their minds and their hearts aren't with the Lord. And uh, you get a little older and you go like, well, gosh, Lord, if knowing you is the number one thing on earth, then Lord, you do whatever it takes to get their attention, even if that means you take away their livelihood, their health or whatever. And uh, so knowledge, add to your faith, goodness or virtue, knowledge. And then he says, by faith, pursue self-control. The word indicates mastery of desires and passions, especially sensual appetites. And Dr. David Kyle Foster said, the biggest battle a person trapped in sin faces is turning the focus from himself and on to God. Um, and so, you know, we all, not everybody, but many of you are on Facebook and things and you know, we can see Christians we know, and it's obvious in their frustration levels and things they rail about online, their focus is on people instead of on Jesus, you know? If, if our focus is on Jesus, we'll never be disappointed. Now, now we can, be, we can think He's disappointed us, but it's because we've brought wrong expectations, Right? We have believed the prosperity teachers that say if we get the prayers right, we'll have less trouble in life. The Bible tells us if we get everything right, we'll have more trouble in life. <laughs> right? The normal trouble everybody else gets. We might avoid some trouble from, not, from, you know, from staying away from drinking sins and you know, smoking pot sins and things like that. But we get the ordinary amount of trouble that everybody else gets in life. And we get the trouble for bearing the name of Christ in a world that hates his guts. So... Um, but so, so, so we, we, if your focus is on Jesus, you'll never be disappointed because you'll remember what he did for you on the cross. You'll remember how much he cares that he's interceding now. But when we get our trouble, our focus off of Christ, our eyes off of Christ and put them on Christians, you're sure to be disappointed. Uh, and, but, but I hope that you've learned to have the biggest disappointment be when you look in the mirror and say, you know, yeah, Lord, I love you, but, but I ought to be further along by now. You know, I should, you know, I, I should be doing more for Christ than I am. We're, I want that passion like I had when I first believed, you know, and that sort of thing. So many times we get our focus off. And the biggest battle a person trapped in sin faces is turning the focus from himself and on to God. And um, Acts 4.25, Paul, when he reasoned with um, 
it says he, he, he spoke of righteousness, self-control and judgment to come. And I've got that reference wrong there. Um, that's actually a John passage where Jesus talked about how the Holy Spirit will convict the world of righteousness, um, self-control and judgment to come. Self-control is the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.23. And so we want to grow in self-control. And then by faith, grow in perseverance. Some of your um, translations might read endurance there. And the word indicates steadfastness, constancy, patience, endurance. A Christian who has endurance is not swerved from, from his deliberate purpose. Um, and so one of the great theological doctrines is the perseverance of the saints, that those who have truly been born again will continue to persevere. Uh, you might jot the little note beside it, Philippians 1.6, where it says, He who has begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. So the Lord began the work. He'll see it through. He's the author and finisher of our faith. And um, so uh, perseverance. It was modeled by the Lord himself. Second Thessalonians 3, 5 is a great verse. It says, may the Lord direct your hearts to God's love and Christ's endurance. And we think about how Jesus, when he gave us the parable of the sower, he talked about the responses to the soil, right? the responses to the gospel, right? The soils, the different soils. And of the very last one, he says, the seed in the good ground, this is Luke 8, 15. These are the ones who, having heard the word of God with an honest and good heart, hold on to it and by enduring bear fruit. So we're saved based on Christ's endurance for us going to the cross for us. If we're going to bear fruit, we've got to endure like the farmers are enduring now, you know, uh, they're either uh, uh, praying for rain or they're making a way to water it down. It's so neat to see uh, Michael Thompson's crops there. You know, I don't know if you drove on the uh, Ringgold Church Road this week, but uh, he's got taking the water out of the pond there and spraying it, you know, out on the crops and things. And hopefully that'll be just enough of stand in the gap, you know, until it, it comes out. Farming takes a lot of perseverance, right? Things that are beyond your control. And any Christian that has borne fruit has endured, persevered through a lot of things. Um, I think it's directly related to why the Bible calls all true believers something very special in the book of Revelation. In chapters 2 and 3, it, gives, it says that all of us are what? To each of the seven letters of the churches, the Christians in those churches, Christians are described as... Got it? Now in 1 John, it says, this is the faith that overcomes the world. Our, this is the, our faith, right? So overcomers is the word. Revelation 2 or 3. To the overcomer I will give. To the overcomer I will give. To the overcomer I will give. And so perseverance. And we want to make sure that even though it's a fruit of the Spirit, we're doing our part to intentionally endure. Because uh, the battle is in the mind, right? So... Um, I was talking to a couple uh, this past week in the church and, um, you know, and, and when I was three years ago, I sat down with them several times doing marital counseling and I was worried. I thought we we're going to lose this this relationship. Right. It happens. It happens, you know. And uh, so um, we had uh, we saw him the other day and I said, what's y'all secret, man? I said, so did you after after I talked to you, did you talk to somebody that knew what they were doing? You know, what's the secret? And they said, no, we, we just applied what you told us to apply. And they said, we just made the choice. I'm married to this spouse. I'm going to love them no matter what. We just made the choice. 
And, you know, when you're running a marathon, there's times you feel like quitting. What do you got to do? You got to make the choice to tell your legs, shut up, legs. I don't care that you're tired. We got a race to finish, right? We're going to keep going when you feel like quitting. Um, And that doesn't mean that Christians don't uh, stumble and fall some and need time to just set for a little bit and things. But eventually, um, if we're truly saved, there's that perseverance factor that's a fruit of the Spirit, a fruit of our faith, but there's also that decision we make inside not to give up, right? To get up and keep going. some of y'all don't know the rock song, but I always like that song that said, I get knocked down, but I get up again. Nothing's going to keep me down. <laughs> so anyway, that's one of them contemporary ones. <laughs> it's not even a Christian one, unfortunately, <laughs> but it's in my head from that listening to rock and roll. Uh, I get knocked down, but I get a, First of all, it also had in there, Danny boy, Danny boy. So, so we grow in perseverance. Um, 1 Thessalonians 1.3, Paul writes, We recall in the presence of our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and endurance of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And faith, hope, and love put together like so many times the Scripture does. You recall that James says, When our endurance amidst life's trials has done its complete work, we become mature and complete, lacking nothing. That's why Peter's connecting this attitude, this add-on to our faith, this faith supplemental to uh, fruitfulness, because um, you can't you can't be bear fruit if you don't overcome. I think that's a message for before we move on to the corporate church, also. You know, um, so um, you know if your vision's for a year, you know you plant wheat. <laughs> if your vision is for uh, a decade, you plant a tree, right? If your if your vision's for eternity, you plant people. And, uh, you know, we just finished our Awana year. My goodness, I hope in the fall we can get right back over there to Purdom Woods and bring some of those kids over here. Because, man, if we can do that for 10, 15 years, and currently we have about 10 or 15 in our youth group that have graduated out of the Awana Purdom Woods part and are being part of our youth group, we'll take another five or so to um, Word of Life Camp this summer. And if we do that, we have made a significant impact on one of the needy areas in Danville. And all the time I tell other pastors, look, you say you want to reach Danville, but that's a pipe dream. Draw a five-mile circle around your church and impact the schools in there. Encourage the, th- the neighborhoods that are most needy in there, right? Uh, and that's what we do. You know, that five-mile circle gives us some of the schools like Woodrow Wilson and uh, uh, what's the one we did the tutoring at? Woodbury, Woodbury. Um, and then it also includes, of course, our Ringgold schools that we have significant ministries in every one of them. And on your behalf, we just bought all the uh, teachers uh, breakfast recently at, uh, at uh, Dan River High School, you know, uh, and worked with the FCA to do that, show them we love them, we appreciate them. And we know it's been a tough year and things. Um, so perseverance, doing the same thing year after year to impact the lostness around you and win a community to Christ. We certainly have done that through our children's and youth ministries, raising up these youngins and sending them off. But perseverance means we remember to write them notes while they're in college, you know, and pray for them. Uh, and uh, of course, it really goes to the entire church, the whole life of the church, right? So I love how our prayer list tonight had two people that can't physically come anymore. Their children have relocated them to closer to where they are. 
They, they won't be back in church probably here, but we're not going to forget about them. We're going to love them. We're going to write notes to them. We're going to pray for them, you know, and uh, love never forgets. And to get it, to get it right, you got to endure. By faith, next he says, pursue godliness. Um, have you ever heard of the man um, named Eusebius? You say, heck no, Pastor Danny. <laughs> One of the greatest early church histories was a man named Eusebius. He wrote about the 400. So after, after the um, persecution of Christians ended, he wrote the first Christian history that tried to tie together all the local histories from around the empire. Tremendously helpful book. And you say, why'd you say that? Well, because Eusebia is the word for godly. So his name meant a godly man, Eusebius. Uh, reverence, respect, piety toward God. It's a genuine reverence toward God that governs one's attitude toward every aspect of life. Here's how you know you've got it. Uh, do you love sinners? Do you hate sin? Right? There was a great uh, gospel song, Love God, Hate Sin, Refuse to Lose, Choose to Win. Mylon Lefevre uh, used to sing that one. And a godly person is growing in both areas at the sa same time. They love sinners, but they hate sin and its consequences. So a uh, good mark of a godly person. They love people. They never forget to love people because we're all either sinners under the wrath of God or we're sinners saved by grace. A sinner saved by grace can't say, look at that dummy that's still under the wrath of God because but for the grace of God, there go I, right? So I can't say, ooh, I was smart and they were dumb, you know. Uh, I was very happily lost or miserably lost, sometimes both. And all of a sudden I was a Christian. God's grace, the Holy Spirit just came down. It's like the, the moth flying to the flame. So pretty, you know. Uh, my direction was changed like that, and I'm still trying to understand it. The grace of God, right? I know I placed my faith. I made the decision, but it sure seems like somehow God made the decision for me. It's that marvelous mystery of grace. Um, now listen to this quote from a man named Trahern, Centuries of Meditation. Love can forbear and love can forgive, but love can never be reconciled to an unlovely object. He can never there before, God can never be reconciled to your sin because sin itself is incapable of being altered. But He may be reconciled to your person because that can be restored. Whew! Thank the Lord one day we won't have to deal with sin at all, you know. Um, so godliness loves God, hates sin, and keeps that in mind as we go through life. Often we're sorry we got caught, we're sorry for the consequences, but we're not sorry we did it. A godly person has, is increasingly learning to take God's side in this whole matter of sin. Um, Y'all know who Rob Bell is? Rob Bell was a creative young preacher uh, that uh, did a church plant, um, and he actually preached through Leviticus, or taught through Leviticus as it got going. Developed a huge crowd in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And somewhere along the line, um, he uh, became a heretic, a, a false teacher. And he's even appeared on Oprah Winfrey in more recent years in different fashions and forms and things, because she loves it when a guy that was a Christian denies the faith and still teaches a quasi-faith, right? He wrote a book called Love Wins. And in that book, he said what far too many people that say they're Christians are increasingly believing and that is that eventually, because God so loves people, everyone will be saved. 
And that's a nice, smalchy thought, but it's the thought of somebody that hates God. As I've grown over, I've understood not only the necessity that there be a hell for the devil and his angels, but also the rightness that that's the place that people that do this to God go, that shake their fist at God. Um, a soul once created is going to go on forever. Um, so, but that person can't go to heaven or else they'd bring their sin and hostile attitude for God to heaven and then it'll be later be on the new earth. God has done everything it could so people could go to heaven and later be on the new earth with every, all the redeemed. But for a person that has hostility toward God, shakes their fist at God, refuses to turn from their sin, refuses to turn to God, there's no other place but hell, right? And I really had this nailed down for me when I preached through the book of Revelation. Um, and different translations read different way. But in Revelation 18, when Babylon falls, and Babylon represents maybe a real place that will reemerge at the end times, but it definitely represents the hostile world system that's set against God, right? It says, when Babylon fell, heaven rejoiced, and some angelic proclamation says, rejoice all you saints, and... It's different in different translations, but the basic thought is God has done what you've asked. Part of praying as these saints grew in maturity was saying, God, we want you to save people. But Lord, we want you also to be done with sin and judge every aspect of it. And we and so much so that heaven rejoices, actually, when Babylon falls, despite it involving the fall of many a sinner that never turned to God. Um, and it's this whole concept of godliness, this righteous zeal um, that we have while never forgetting to love sinners and get the gospel out so people can turn. And it's very interesting that he turns around after that and says, by faith, grow in he says, brotherly love and agape love. Now, your translation might have kindness there. In fact, the New King James I'm reading from says brotherly kindness. But the reason I say grow in brotherly love and agape love is because here you have an instance where he's using two of the four great words for love. Uh, he's using the word Philadelphia. That's brotherly love, right? So your brotherly love, Philadelphia. And he's using the word uh, agape, which is the word for unconditional love. Uh, so he says, grow in brotherly love and grow in agape love. So um, I like to think about that as uh, the difference between the two is that uh, if you want to be useful and fruitful Christian, you want to help like a brother and you want to love like a mother. <laughs> a mother oftentimes is frustrated with her child's choices, but she doesn't forget to pray. And of course, Proverbs, I mean, um, the prodigal son parable has the father's love being like that too, right? You know, father in heaven's love, God the father. But help like a brother, love like a mother, and love your Savior Jesus with all your heart, love others in his name, and, um, and, and turn to Galatians uh, as um, we look at the concept of that agape love. <clears throat> so 
So in your notes there, you've got a Galatians verse. What's the verse, Wesley? 419. Listen to what he says there. Paul writes, My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. Paul compares himself as a loving pastor person to a mother that is giving, having labor pains, ready to see that baby born. And that is such a great picture of agape love, the mother love. That's why we said that there, you know. And so as we love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and as we love others, we want to have such a shepherding love for them, a pastoral type love for them, that we're agonizing for them in prayer, we're agonizing for them in teaching, uh, so ready that we're praying that God will be formed in them, that the true faith will truly be formed in them. I can think of some current ones in the life of our church and some others I know uh, that I am just agonizing in prayer and hoping I can get the teaching just right for. I've got a couple appointments set up in the next weeks, you know, where that's what I'm doing, you know, trying to get somebody that's off track back on track, you know. Uh, so if you're going to be fruitful, you want to add in also brotherly love and agape love. Now we have to get real serious for a moment. We're just about done here because Peter does in the text, verses 9 through 11. So he says, if these things are true in your life, increasingly true in your life, you'll be fruitful. But look at verse 9 through 11. But he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness. I don't want to be blind. And has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. I don't want to forget what it was like. Verse 10, Therefore, brothers, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Every once in a while. Now, I believe in eternal security. I've written a great book called 99 Reasons I Believe in Eternal Security. You know, I believe if a person's truly saved, God did it, not us. And so since it starts with God and He says He promises what He began to see through... You know, I, I believe that. But I also believe that some people are, are, are falsely, are false professors, right? They're, they profess the faith, but they don't possess the faith. And so our passage talks about the root of fruitfulness is, a, you know, truly having faith in Christ and being born again. The fruit of knowing Him will be an increase in these things. And, you know, it's not the same in everybody, you know. Uh, it's a different, some people just immediately start showing growth and others it takes a little longer, you know. But I like the way Charles Stanley said it. He wrote a good book on eternal security once upon a time too, better than mine. Um, he said, it's impossible for God to truly be inside somebody and not show over time, right? And so I really appreciate the balance of the scriptures and how every once in a while they just bring us a verse like, make sure that you're ready. Make sure Jesus is inside you. Make sure your trust is in Him alone for salvation. Uh, kick the tires every once in a while and do a, do a fruit inspection. You know, that's what all 1 John is about. If, you read, if you've used the devotional I wrote on 1 John, uh, I use that analogy. You, know, you can drive a car with a failed sticker on it, right? <laughs> you know, uh, and the car will drive. Um, but you want to address the things that the inspection says aren't right or you'll have a lot of problems with that car, right? And that's, you know, you turn the key of salvation, you're going places. Um, but uh, the Bible regularly says, make sure. 
I was with, remember when Milton Harding preached here a couple years ago, the uh, black fellow that uh, works with the SBCV and has a discipleship ministry. He was actually in Danville today. Uh, the local Baptist pastors gathered and, and Milton Harding addressed us. And he said something really interesting. He told us how he witnesses at, at the places like Walmart. So he'll go up to people, you know, and, and uh, he'll say, uh, you know, Wesley be over here checking out the apples or whatever, right? So Milton says he comes over and says, are you ready? And uh, what's everybody in that position going to say if they don't just run? <laughs> ready for what? Are you ready for death? Are you ready to meet Jesus? Are you, you know, do you know that you know? And pretty provocative, huh? You know, he says more than one person he's got to have a good conversation with about that. And, you know, the saved smile and the unsaved squirm, you know. And uh, so, but a pretty good little uh, approach to people and stuff. Um, but... Um, so verse 10, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. Make sure that you really are trusting Christ alone for salvation. Make sure that with that root intact, you are building on your faith. And these things will be fruit of the Spirit, but they'll also be things intentionally that we're applying our life to. So we want to add to faith, virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness and brotherly kindness, agape, love, kindness. And if these things are ours and abound, we'll be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So once upon a time, Paul was on trial, right? And King Agrippa said, hey, uh, what are you about? And he told him. He said, therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, Syria and Jerusalem, Israel, and throughout all the regions of Judea and then to Gentiles, that they should repent, turn to God and do works befitting repentance. And so that's always our message. Sinner, turn to Christ and be saved. Uh, repent, change your mind, believe in Christ and uh, then show that you truly have changed your mind by a change of life and a change of actions that are fruits in keeping with repentance. Peter just told us some of what they are. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Tabernacle Today. To learn more about the Tabernacle, please visit our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. There you may access additional Tabernacle Today podcasts as well as other resources. If you don't have a church home or happen to be visiting the area, we'd love to welcome you to one of our weekly services. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you back for another edition of Tabernacle Today. Tabernacle Today.